Hey there. Welcome to the Temple of Syrinx, a song-by-song walk through the songs of Rush. the priests of the temples of Syrinx. Yeah! So I didn't even know I wanted to do that, and I didn't even know you were going to read that intro, but it, it just... <laughs> It just works. I could just, I could feel, I could feel the desire to do that, yeah. waiting to bust out. I mean, if you want to hear Getty Lee dropped a couple octaves, <laughs> I'm your man. I think you've got your, you've got next summer's project for sure. <laughs> low rush, Getty Low. I feel like that's a winner. <laughs> I would, I would pay a five dollar cover to see that. Um, Okay, anyway, uh, this is uh, this is show seven of We've Been Had, Song by Song Walk Through the Songs of Uncle Tupelo. I'm Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, yeah, tonight we are digging deeper into the meat of Uncle Tupelo's second album, Still Feel Gone. And unlike uh, 2112, which I believe Temples of Syrinx <laughs> is on, uh, I don't believe there are any call-outs to Ayn Rand in, in uh, Still Feel Gone. That you know of. But this, that- one, this one might still be... Like twenty one twelve, this one might be considered a concept album of like depressing life in the rural Midwest. Um, songs covered today are "Nothing," "Still Be Around," and "Watch Me Fall." Uh, but before we get into the album, I wanted to run by you a couple of uh, hot things happening in the world of Uncle Tupelo primary sources in twenty eighteen. Excellent. Let's hear it. Well, so for one thing, there's been this word that a uh, Jeff Tweedy memoir is looming in November. Uh, It's going to be called Let's Go So We Can Get Back, a memoir of recording and discording with Wilco, etc. And so that etc., I think, is doing a lot of work there. Yeah. Uh, uh, Do do we have any details on what the format of said book is going to be? Pages is all I know. Because we uh, we had that Greg Cott Wilco book. Yeah. Which was, I felt, kind of a step backwards for my Jeff Tweedy fandom. I did not, yes. Um, And I wonder, or yeah, I just I wonder what what that'll, at this point, I mean, I guess this this is maybe one of your other primary sources, but the, the Rolling Stone article in the 20, was it 25 year? Yeah. Release of Anodyne? Yeah. Had uh, had some really interesting uh, kind of oral history tidbits. Yes, um, I guess one of the one of the least spoiler ones that I found interesting was just sort of the like the weird circumstances uh, that a lot of the Uncle Tupelo like anodyne era people met. Yeah, like uh, Ken Coomer, who's who's in a band called Clockhammer, which <laughs> sounds kind of rushy, honestly. Yeah, it could be. Oh, he met he met them at a studio when they were just sort of passing on recording studios wow. or recording time. Uh, you know, Max Johnston met them because his sister's band was on a tour with like the band without Robbie Robertson and like Taj Mahal just, and Uncle Tupelo. That's damn weird. Yeah, yeah, it's just a kind of a kind of a weird just force of events that brought all those people together. Yeah. When I started reading that, the thing I was most worried about was that uh, we were going to discover all kinds of ways that you and I had just like blown it with speculations. And there weren't, I I, I don't feel like we really showed our ass too badly, like given what's shown in there. But I thought it was interesting, like some more meeting things, like the mystery of John Stirrett becoming involved in the band is solved. He was a guitar tech. Yeah, replacing Brian Henneman. Which, yeah, 
so the Henneman thing, like I, I can't believe I didn't know that. Um, I don't know. Like it really makes Sturat feel even more like this Iago figure is just like standing <laughs> off stage, like waiting his chance. Yeah. But know. when that chance came, he cashed in. Yeah. Like he's, how long has he been the bass player for Wilco? Um, their entire, entire span. right? Yeah. I, I think like he and Tweety might be the only two constants. I think they are. He's been, you know, he's been playing bass for that band longer than I have been an employed adult. Yeah. That's since like, I don't know, the nineties. Yeah. That's, that's something. He's that's a, deeply weird. Yeah. Um, so did you, and maybe this was just me. Did you, did you feel like uh, Gary Lewis's comments in those, in the world just a little weird? Extremely. Yes. Like his first comment, which I, I I'm still trying to parse, was like this, this weird like. Let me see if I can find the exact. It was something about how like he had never heard of them and that they were following him around. Yeah, and I thought he meant that just you know a figure of speech like oh Uncle Tupelo and the Jayhawks were playing the same kinds of places, which would make sense, but he didn't you know. He didn't actually say it that way. He also had that that bit where he like he's like he's trying to be Switzerland between Ferrar and Tweedy and yeah. and not really saying anything about either of them. It's yep. like, well, I like both of them. That's useful. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Like, not. I wonder what got cut to put that in the oral history. Yeah. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Well, I, I was also glad just, you know, for, for the task at hand, I was glad to read that because I had forgotten that he played guitar on still feel gone. And so like I went to look that up. Yeah. When we get to that song, I, I think there's a reason you may have forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I have in my notes, this seems like a gross misuse of Gary Lewis's talent. That is it is leaving something awesome just like on the shelf. Yeah, it's just not. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like we'll be going back to this Rolling Stone article a bunch just because there's so much in there. Um, you know, and like a lot of it won't be relevant for a while, but it was a good article. Yeah. Did, so, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but just the bit where all the guys in Wilco are driving in that van and they obtain a copy of Trace. That is fantastic. And it's like, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's amazing because you know that they're, you, you know, just as people, like they're really competitive and they want to, they want to do better yeah. and they listen to it and they just have nothing. Like they have <laughs> nothing to say. <laughs> How could you, you know, it, it, I just, I love trying to think, think of like the human psychology of moments like that, you know, like you're saying, and just like, I don't know. Like, what do you do in that moment? You're... Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, you know, to paraphrase Jay Ferrar, you're just you're beaten by nonfiction. <laughs> like you're, nice. Like you know, you just, you know, you just kind of get dunked on and move on. And then just no, yep. okay, take your lumps. Uh yeah, so I don't know. If you want to read the article we're talking about, if you just Google Rolling Stone Anodyne 25th Anniversary, it should come up. It's this big oral history. It's pretty highly recommended. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a really, uh, it's really some really interesting stuff in there. Yeah. Oh, there was one other note that I had from it. I don't, 
I didn't, I was stupid and didn't write down who said this. Someone in there mentions that they didn't think Jay Farrar had bought any new music since the first, <laughs> since the first Dinosaur Jr. album, which wow. is perfect. Yeah. Like, and maybe accurate. Yeah. Like, like, that's, I mean, that's really impressive if that, if that's true. Yeah. Like, you know, even if it's not true in fact, it, it feels true in spirit. Definitely does. If you want a much, uh, well, not much, but a, a poor written article uh, about uh, Uncle Tupelo, I would recommend the Pitchfork review from the reissue of uh, Still Feel Gone. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm just, I just want to tee this up for you. I don't know if I got your reaction to this, but this is from that, this is a highlighted passage from that uh, review. The sophomore album is so much stronger. It sounds like a fourth or fifth album that one wonders why the bash and crop genre these guys spawned isn't called Feel Gone. God. God. Sigh. You know, I, I agree it sounds like a fourth or fifth album in that, like... It's not typically, that's not typically a compliment. Though. Right, exactly. It's, it's like, like the, that's the, like, mail-it-in album. Kind of out of ideas here, we're... Yeah, you know what this really sounds like is any Pearl Jam album after <laughs> Versus is what this sounds like to me. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well, should we get into the songs? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's take a break and then go into nothing. Call it nothing. Yeah, you know, I don't want to bury the lead, but I am actually going to call it nothing. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, I I just wrote meh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those were my notes. Um, I will say that listening to it a second time, I do think that the uh, that the guitar solo was pretty rad. I okay. I have I have mixed thoughts about that. I just don't think it goes with the song. Yeah. It's it's a cool guitar solo, but it doesn't sound like I, I don't think it even goes with the band. It sounds does not sound like Jay Farrar. It I, I I was thinking like this song just top to bottom. Uh, you know I don't know. I feel like we should have like the equivalent of a swear jar for this show over every time we mention Dinosaur Junior. But this song really sounds like Dinosaur Jr. a ton. And like the solo does, the rhythm guitar does, just the rhythms do, the drums do. Sadly, I think we're we're working on a, a thesis uh that that pretty much states that Uncle Tupelo is like the country version of Dinosaur Jr. Yeah. But uh I mean uh, maybe we'll get talked out of that as we go well, maybe the first album and and a half is that that way. Yeah, I think that stops being true, but it's definitely definitely there. I do. Um, I like the start of this song. Like, I like so the the last song, um, "Ball Down Easy." So that ends with like Hydorn just freaking out and kicking ass on drums. And I like the way this picks up with a big drum thing again. So you know, it's again this like they're bracketing the two songs together. Um, I really like. Tweety's opening lines, you know, I think that's like for the first two albums, that's good writing by him. He's been traveling around some, crossing people's paths. I don't know, I like that. Yeah. Like, he's a he's a black cat spreading trouble, sure. Um but yeah, that then 
That's all it's got. Yeah, so I guess what maybe what bugs me about the song is the like the slow down chorus. Yeah. I just don't it just seems out of sync with the rest of the song. And I know that's you know, that's kind of mm. one of their motifs is to change tempos and for some reason it just it just doesn't it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, you know, they're trying for dynamics, but it doesn't. I agree. So, so one thing that as I was listening to this I was thinking of is like and this is just a random observation that I jotted down, but like in an alternate universe where Jay Farrar ends up fronting like the Lemonheads or something. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is the kind of music that they would, that that would get released. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's nothing, nothing tupeloid about this except for the timber of Jeff Tweedy's voice and, and some awkward stretching of lines, you know, like across or awkward stretching of sentences across vocal lines. Got to bring that back. Yeah. Are there any? Uh, did you? Are there any grammatical errors that you'd like to highlight? Well, I don't know. This is an error, but it's definitely not very, um, not very graceful. The the bit about I know it's not enough to make it sound like more. So I swear, if there's a god to make him sleep on the floor, it's grammatically accurate, but it's awkward as hell. And I don't know what, I don't know what is being said there. Yeah. So I mean, what's the if you're if you're taking it literally, like, why would a deity need need to sleep on the floor? Because he's he's I don't know. Tweety's pissed at him. Or well, something. it, it kind of reminds me of this, and this is this is gonna be a hell of a segue. But that like Kevin Smith adaptation of the Superman movie, where the like producers like, well, maybe Superman's guards could fight with a polar bear, and he's like, why would Superman need guards? <laughs> like, that's what I feel like. Oh. I, I can one up you, um, Star Trek Five, when uh, Jim Kirk, you know the movie written and directed by William Shatner, so he wrote this for himself. <laughs> Jim Kirk gets in God's face and sasses him. It says, "What does God need a starship for?" Yeah, he had to play the Shatner card. Huh? <laughs> There's no coming back from that. Uh, you know, like between that and all the Rush shit earlier, it's just it's Canadian invasion night. Yeah. So okay, to be positive about this song. Because I, you know, I don't hate it. I just don't love it. Um, I do think like the repeated line about "Don't call it nothing." This might be all you'll ever have. I think that's a good sentiment. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, I said I thought about something on the way over. Here was my big revelation on the drive over. I was just trying to think, like, well, what the hell is this song about? If you take it all as a body, and it sounds to me like this meditation of. You've got a friend who's just a downer all the time, and you're telling them to stop being so down all the time. You know, like don't call it, don't don't shit on everything, don't call it nothing. This might be as good as you got. And then <laughs> I started thinking about the next song, and like who Jeff Tweedy might be directing that kind of. You know, like I think you could read this. As, it's possible to read this as Tweedy telling Farrar to like quit being such a bar all the time. I don't know that that's, you know, I mean, I can't say that that's actually what's going on, but yeah, I wonder if it's, uh, I wonder if it's going on kind of below the surface, like, yeah. you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to sing this song about, about this really negative person, you know, with, and maybe he didn't even want him to realize it. He just wanted to get it out there. Maybe he didn't even realize it himself. Maybe he's just thinking like, God, there are a lot of negative people in my life. I don't know, but I there there was a little light bulb over my head. Okay, 
And that actually reminds me of one other thing from that Rolling Stone article. Yeah. That is totally, totally irrelevant, except maybe not. Someone in that article hypothesized that the song Chickamauga on Anodyne is about the two of them and about how much they hated each other at that point. Um, it's, I mean, that's a pretty, you know, that references a civil war battle. So yeah. that, that's a pretty hefty degree of hatred. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, and when I read that, I was like, I don't know. But, you know, now here I am reading band dynamics into a song. So I, maybe, yeah, who knows? I don't know. I wonder, part of it is, especially with the early albums, like they're so young that, I wonder if there's ever like, ah, I can't believe I actually wrote that or I can't believe right. I put that in the song. They must, you know, if they go back now and listen, it must just be cringing all the time. You know, even for songs that like we probably like because it's not, you know, we don't have any skin in the game. But. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, and maybe it's it's one of those things where we're like, we're reading all this into it and they're like, yeah, we just, it's like, uh, it's like that Bruce Springsteen song, uh, that was covered by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Yeah. And he changed a bunch of the, he changed the words. And so instead of cut loose like a deuce, Manfred Mann's version is wrapped up like a douche. Is that, did they intend it to be that? Or is that just an artifact of I, sound? I, I think he just misunderstood the lyrics, maybe. <laughs> okay. I like, I've always, like, I've always heard it as wrapped up like a douche, but I also always thought that it was just my shit ears mishearing it. It could be. But Springsteen maintains that it's cut loose like a deuce, like a little deuce coupe. Yeah, that makes much more sense. And I believe he also said when he wrote that song that he was he was essentially just like laying in bed because he had the mumps with a like rhyming dictionary, nice. which is why it's so like you know it's it rhymes so much. Very nice. Um. I had so with uh with nothing I had I had a little like hypothetical I wanted to run by you. Yeah. Imagine you had never experienced Uncle Tupelo. You know, and and, and I, I come over and I'm like, man, you gotta check this out. This is uh, this is a new band here. Check this out. This is the song. And I play you nothing. You gonna listen to a second Uncle Tupelo song? Well, I mean, are you sitting are you like standing over me? Like are you is the social contract kicked in or <laughs> What what are the circumstances? Okay, let's say I email it to you. I email you a link to the song on YouTube. Yeah, unlikely. Unlikely I even make it through the song if there's no like social pressure to Yeah. You know, nobody bats a thousand. Uh, yeah, and, and it's just it's more of a function of me just not having a lot of patience for for songs I don't like. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I got nothing else to say about this, honestly. It's just Kind of a. It is. It was the tablature was done by our buddy Caleb Rush. Yes. Who I swear did seventy percent of these things. Probably. So like wherever you are, Caleb, I'm. Yeah, you know, hopefully you're still a super fan. <laughs> I think you can count on that. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> All right, we are back. Um, if I were more creative, I'd find a way to say that we still be around. That, that's dumb. Still being around? Still being around. Isn't that a Lemonhead song, Being Around? Being, being Around, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's pretty good. Second Lemonhead rep, Lemonheads reference of the show. Yeah, you think Slade and Coldery um, produced that one? I don't know. I think I think they were. Uh, I think they were pre. Yeah, maybe. I think they. It's a shame about Ray is probably the last one that they worked on. Okay, it might be the one before. I don't. I don't uh, know. Anyway, around so, there. I hate to bracket our discussion with uh, with observations about the person that did the tablature. <laughs> yes, but. They still be around tablature is from a guy named Paul Kirsch, whose email address is paulkirsch at primavera.com. Primavera.com. Which, if that's a business and you're not making pasta sauce, <laughs> like that's a missed opportunity yes. as far as I'm concerned. Like, I hope that was just some stupid 90s search engine. <laughs> that's like at <laughs> prodigy.net. <laughs> I hope Primavera was one of those like dead search engines. And the results were like, you get to the spicy results. Yeah. I So how does that make it, you know, like how does Yahoo make it and Primavera fails in that? It's There's a, no justice. It's an unfair world. Um, yeah, you'd think something like Primavera would still be around. Boom. Nice. Dynamite dropping. That's right. Um, so I don't want to be Dr. Negative, but I don't like this song. Yeah, so I, I think you can kind of see what Jay Farrar kind of planting the seeds of what he wants to become. Yeah. Um, yeah, the interestingly the uh the Pitchfork article did have one kind of good zinger where they referred to this song as slogany. Yeah. Uh That's... which I think is probably accurate. There is one uh really cool part in it where everything kind of fades away and you just hear him picking a note yeah and then that, bending like bending, that, yeah that is the best thing in here by far so like that just listening to that that like kind of i don't know it reminds me of that song which i think is actually on the next album called sandusky mm-hmm. that's totally acoustic and has a lot of that like bending of notes yeah but it's just a, it's a really cool effect because like everything drops away and you just hear that one and they like layer it up like the first time it's just one and then like it's multiple bends as it, yeah. yeah that's that's a cool effect that is the best thing I mean the lyrics are are a little bit depressing I honest to God think that the lyrics like just having this song in my head to think about it for the show has affected my mental health for the past week or so yeah so. I guess I was trying to was trying to figure this out when when he says when the Bible is a bottle and a hardwood floor is home when morning comes twice a day or not at all. What does that What does that mean? Like, is it is it the fact that you're like, you know, like you you end up crashing on the floor? I think so. I think I I read that as the the time honored Jay uh, our statement that he's been drinking a lot and. You know, the Bible is a bottle, so he's turning to the bottle for guidance. Hardwood floor is home because he's passed out. Morning comes twice a day because he's either passing out and waking up and going uh, to sleep and waking up, okay. or he's just up all night on a bender. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So the the interestingly the uh, the slogan that they that that Pitchfork hit him on was the "Walked and breathed many a cancerous mile," uh, which. It's fair, but that's kind of where he goes with a lot of his later work is, yeah. you know, like, like referencing these like atrocities. Right. You know, 
I remember on on Trace, there's like another. He's singing about a highway where there's a beach that's known for cancer. Yeah, uh, you know, and like, I guess the thing with the walked and breathed the many a cancerous mile line, like, on the level of like a dude doing interesting things with words, I can appreciate that. That is a memorable line, and it's always stuck with me. But you know, just it's a downer, and this whole the song is just a mountain of downers. Yeah, it uh, it's we kind of talked about like like does it uh, on some of the earlier the first album do the songs glorify alcohol use or are they a cautionary tale? Like this yeah. one doesn't have that kind of ambiguity, right? It's, yeah, it's yep, this sucks. Like <laughs> this is not fun. This is the kind of song that would prompt your bandmate to write a song telling <laughs> you don't call it nothing. This might be. I um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's a bummer. It just. You know, it just sounds like this another pile of gripes. We've said that before about for our songs. Um, I mean, like, there's a point where you just get tired of the depressing drinking songs. And you start to ask, like, can you imagine Jay Farrar having fun? Yeah, no is the answer. Because I, I typically, whenever I've seen him perform, he looks miserable. Yeah. But, but that may be just his, you know, I'm sure he's... He's got to have like a, a humorous side, right? Like you would he, think so. I mean, I just I just don't know if you get to see that. Like, I think he's just a, a really reserved guy. So. Yeah. Well, that's fair. I mean, you know, we we know some pretty reserved people. Yeah. But, but they will still like make a joke now and then. This is this is true. And I mean, maybe he does. And that's maybe, true. You know, we don't get to we don't get to experience him in small groups. That's, that's true. We don't get the the behind the scenes, Jay. Oh, yeah, a couple of production things that jumped out at me. Like, I, again, like, I hate to just dunk on this song over and over, but I hate the way this opens. I hate the, um, whatever Coldery and Slade are doing to mic the acoustic. I think it sounds like ass. I think it actually it sounds like they took a 12 string and just like encased it in glass or something and just sounds terrible. You know, maybe they just don't know how to make an acoustic guitar sound good because that's not their usual thing. But, you know, if you contrast the way the acoustic guitar in this song sounds with the way Peter Buck makes them sound on the next album, you know, it's just night and day. Yeah, it's quite a bit different. The, uh, yeah, I mean, the other the other thing that's, that's uh, interesting about your observation there is that, uh, that, uh, this is a remastered version yeah. of the album, right? Like, yeah. Well, I guess I don't know that, but I assume it's remastered if it was like the re-release. Usually I, they do some type of digital scrub, right? Yeah, I know. In, so I know in 2003 there was a big deal that those were remastered, and I'm pretty sure the Legacy Edition then is just that with a bunch of shit packed on. So, so. imagine what they sounded like before. Yeah. Really bad, apparently. Uh-huh. I, I noticed also they uh, they fall back in their old no depression production trick of leaving the drums out. So this is another like, hey Mike, go have a smoke. So I wonder if I'm not as conditioned to like to hear how how bad it sounds because I experienced most of these songs on those like tapes, those like overdubbed tapes yeah. that you used to get in the mail from postcard. Yeah. So I mean. Maybe I'm like, hey man, this sounds fantastic. That's you true. can actually hear the, you can actually hear all the instruments. Maybe that's it. Maybe it, uh, maybe that's why it's mixed the way it's mixed too, just to like make them, make those 
shitty guitars punch through a bunch of tape noise. I don't know. I the best defense I can make of this song is that it works okay as like a quiet moment in between louder songs. So like in the context of the album, there's kind of a place for it. You know, like we talked last time about how after the first two songs you had they had to take their foot off the gas. So like this is the moment where their foot is off the gas and like out the window getting some air. And yeah, and it it serves that purpose but that's the only purpose i think it serves it doesn't work that well on its own i don't think yeah not super uh i don't i don't know i i just don't think it's a song you're going to go back and listen to a lot not unless you're really having some problems in your life <laughs> back watch me fall yes i just wrote cowpunk abunga dude <laughs> which <laughs> you can't see this but um some red velvet curtains just appeared off to the side and look there's a giant hook coming to right. pull him off stage yeah i mean that that is honestly what i was thinking like <laughs> i i honestly like I, I this is another song where i like i like the song but i i really wonder if it would be better without the cow punky bass well let's um did you listen to the demo version of this one i did not oh yes it's um this is another case where so like i was just ripping on the producers they they did they earned their money on this one and uh talked the band back from a way more just ridiculously cornball country bass. Oh, wow. Like, so this, you think this is like iteration two at least. Yeah. No, it's funny that you say that. Cause I think my, my very last note that I've got here is, a. this is a very much, this is very much a country punk era. Uncle Tupelo song like the archetypal version. It's a good but not a great song, but it's almost a perfect example of the hybrid they shot for in the first two albums. You know, like I think like this yeah. isn't the best song by, you know, by any stretch, but this is like that mixture in its purest form. I I don't don't disagree with that. Um I believe this is one of the tracks where Gary Lewis is playing guitar. It is. And the only electric guitar, it says, the only electric guitar I can detect is the slide guitar that's kind of intermittent. Yeah, that thing that kind of sounds like kind of feedback and kind of a pedal steel. Yeah. I I, I think that's... Yeah, I was trying to puzzle that out. And like, it's got to be him. It just seems like a weird use of his skill set. Yes. Like... I mean, I, I have to I have to imagine someone else in the band could could have added that little pedal steel ish part. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean we for all that we've talked about what a great electric guitar player Jay Ferrar is, like Gary Loris is one of the small handful of people from that era that I would look at and say like he's better. You know, and or at least on par. Yeah. You know, there's at least a conversation there and you've yeah. just got him uh, Yeah, it's it's, it's weird. It's, I don't know. It's some weird. It's like uh I don't even know what to what to describe it. It's like having a it's like having a great comic like uh Patton Oswald or somebody like that and and deploying him just to write like you know, just like really 
minor jokes or something. Yeah. Bring him out to do two funny voices. Yeah, and right. Kick him off. So, okay, I, the waste, and it is a total waste, but the waste of Gary Loris aside, I do think this song is where this album like gets its groove back. You know, like, it's kind of a bummer, the previous two for sure, kind of the previous three, but this one, you know, I hear you like, okay, yeah. Yeah, we're going to bring in an accordion. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah, like, that's fun. That's... That, so that's sort of, uh, I mean, that's kind of what you get with later Wilco, right? Like yeah. just sort of layering in unusual sounds. That was my, my favorite thing about like golden age Wilco was when they were just like, we're going to try everything. Yeah. Like and summer teeth. Era. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And what I, I should have asked what, I mean, maybe you consider Schmilko to be golden age. I do not. <laughs> but, uh, that's yeah. Nothing good to say there. Yeah, you know, like this is so. This is the second Jeff Tweedy song on this album that has a great opening guitar part that is a G chord being messed with. Uh, you know, this isn't the the like taking a G chord to weird new places that Gun is, but this is like one of those. I've talked about this before, like Uncle Tupelo riffs that just kind of develop naturally if you just fuck around with a chord form. If you play a G long enough and you know bounce to a C, you're gonna you're going to come up with this, but it, it sounds good. It, and it's got, you know, they've got the very, like when Hydorn really wants to sell the country aspects of a song, he has this very distinct, like, and they're doing that here. I don't know. The, yeah. The corn is just ladled on. So, yeah, I do think, you know, Mike Hydorn is, is, you know, he's your, uh, and I probably say this every episode, but like he's, if you want to start an Americana rock band, like you're not going to find a better drummer for that style of music. One of my biggest things that I'm getting from us doing this is just an appreciation for how good he was and how much he, how much he added. And I think that's the best argument for still feel gone over no depression is that they took the time to mic his drums. Well, so like, you know, except for still be around where they told him to go have a smoke. Like, even on the songs I don't like as much, like you can still appreciate Mike Hydorn a lot more. You know, actually like back on nothing. That was like one thing I liked there is they do some kind of cool stuff where he's doing drum fills and they like move the pan from one side to the other. So, it, you know, it sounds like you can hear him moving through the drum set and like he's good and it's really good to see him get some do here. Yeah. Really, if you think about it, this is the only album in their catalog where he gets to kick ass and be mic'd well. You know, like, no depression, he's pretty free, but it's not, you know, just the drums are like the toughest part to hear of that album. March, he's there, but you know, yeah, it's not a it's 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 hard to uh, it's hard for him to shine in an acoustic album. Yeah. And then and then, yeah, and then he's gone. Yeah. yeah. So like this is you know, this is this his is heyday. It. This is Hydorn territory. Yeah. This is his heyday, I guess. Ew. Was there something about a velvet curtain and a hook earlier? Is that <laughs> We still have that. We're, it's pun night. <laughs> I feel like uh, I feel like pun night would be would be a pretty miserable thing to actually try to sit through. Like, <laughs> if if somebody was like, "Okay, I'm going to make as many puns as possible," yeah, they would just right. be like, oh, "God, that would." You see, Chad, that would turn into punch night. Yeah, that would. Boom. What, soon. <laughs> um, Let's see. So I, d I did find that Gary Lewis quote from uh, the Rolling Stone article. And this is what he says. Uh, so maybe I'm judging him too harshly, but he says, 
I have a vague recollection of those guys kind of following us around a bit. They showed up at some shows and they wanted to jam. I didn't know who they were. I'd just gotten done with a gig and I didn't feel like jamming with people I didn't know. I think Mar- Mark Perlman, our bass player, did though. <laughs> like, what a weird, what a weird thing to print. Yes. It's like there's there's, there's literally nothing conveyed there other than, you know, like. Gary Lewis blew off Uncle Tupelo when they wanted to jam with him at one point. And, you know, the, the weirdest thing there, well, I don't know if it's the weirdest, but from years, decades of closely following, you know, all those bands, I had always, it was my headcanon that, like, Mark Perlman was the surliest and most antisocial guy in, you know, the entire alt-country scene. Um Apparently not. Apparently he's the fun guy who will jam with strangers. Well, the interesting thing is if you're Uncle Tupelo in that situation, like, yeah, some of the Jayhawks are going to come over and jam with us. Like, oh, who? Mark Olson? Uh, no, I don't think he's going to make it. <laughs> Gary Lewis? Uh, no. Uh, Tim O'Regan? Nope. Mark Perlman. <laughs> Second base. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, have, we'll finally have that two bass set up. We're going to play Spinal Tap's Big Bottom. It'll be great. It just... Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Mark Perlman could play the guitar too, but he it, it just is... You know, it, it's not who you think of when, yeah. you're, when, you're, uh, when you're talking about the... Uh, talking about the canon of the, the Jayhawks. Yeah. I don't know. I guess, you know, but it paid off. It did. And I, I will say this, though, that later Luris does say that he saw him at the Uptown Bar in Minneapolis, which uh, sadly closed. R.I.P. But uh, a former uh, venue that the replacements played in quite a bit. No. Uh, they did have a, they had a pretty mean brunch for a while. Uh-huh. I don't know if you ever went there for brunch. Oh, yeah. Very good. Uh-huh. Uh, but his, his quote was, holy shit, they were great. <laughs> when they'd, whenever they'd come to town, they'd end up sleeping at my place in the early days. Which, I mean, I feel like if you if you left that last sentence off, it's like, you know, it's like <laughs> praise, praise. Don't forget, I did those guys a favor yeah. by letting them stay at my place I when they were in some town. Markers, I could cash in anytime. Oh, yeah. Looking back at my notes here to see what else I got. Um, you mentioned, yeah, we mentioned the accordion played by a guy named Chris Bess, Sean Slade playing organ, which, sure. Farrar really does some nice acoustic flat picking here and, uh, you know, good harmonies on the chorus. Like, it's like I was saying, like, all the stuff they're pretty good at, you know. It's yeah, it's kind of on display here. Not not like the masterpiece song, but, you know, it's like, it's it's just, it's a good, like, B-plus showcase. Yeah, so, I mean, what do you make of the lyrics in this song? I got a beef or two with them. <laughs> what do you make? <laughs> Figured you might. Well, I was just trying to figure out what what's going on, like... Like the hole is wide, and it's there to divide. It's no one's fault. It was put there by design. Yeah, that sounds like a guy who doesn't have much to say, <laughs> just trying to string together some words that rhyme. Yeah, and it kind of it just sort of it goes. Uh, and the weird thing is, it's a it's a good it sounds good when they're singing. Right. It, it just then you think about it, and yeah, I mean, and there's a bridge yet to build. As many men have willed, it's in the way of all those who wish to pass. What? what? Like, I thinking about that exact verse. I I also had this realization today. Then that 
their lyrics get a lot better after this album. You know, like there's nothing. I shouldn't say nothing. There, I can't think of anything off the top of my head on Anodyne that is anywhere near as awkward and weird as you know a lot of these. And there is stuff on March, but a lot of those are covers, so it's someone else's awkward and weird phrasing. That's true. You know, like I think they sat down and listened to some of these, and we're just like, okay, we we got it. We got to elevate. Yeah, I. Uh, it's just now I'm gonna pick on their English usage, but. There's a bridge yet to build. Like, yeah. I don't think I don't think anyone would say that in real life. Like, nope. Unless it's like a self-building bridge, <laughs> and like we're waiting for it to build. Like, <laughs> it is yet to build. <laughs> it's the greatest technology. Well, I even like not a grammar thing, just a meaning thing. I kind of hate the start where Tweety's like saying that, you know, he's not like those folks that are damn good at one thing. Um. You know, nice self-pity, Jeff. <laughs> um, you know, Mr. Professional Musician on his second album. You know, like, I don't know. You can't... It's always gross to me when people who are succeeding try to, like, drape the cloak of, cloak of failure around themselves. Yeah, I think part of that might be his him just sort of coming to terms with his kind of self-deprecating style of humor. Yeah. So, like... I mean, maybe he's trying to be—he's trying to be more earnest about it. It just sounds kind of jackassy. It just sounds kind of whiny to me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I do like the song a lot, but I've never liked that line. So just to round out our discussion of email addresses, and <laughs> I was impressed that this person has an email address that has the name, and then it says PC Mail. Yes. So like. Keeping it old school. That's right. Like, Remember when email addresses used to have like six subdomains in them? So it'd be like, you know, cook69 at maroon.tc.umn.edu. Yeah, that's, that was the, I mean, that's the dream, right? Yeah. Like, like you think about in terms of an email address, like, what do you want? You want to be able to make the most errors possible <laughs> when trying to type it. Like, I, I think I think we should go back to that. Damn straight we should. Wasn't the thing at the University of Minnesota where some of the addresses were maroon and some of them were gold? Yeah. Genius. That was so stupid. Was there any rhyme or reason, or is it just where you randomly assigned a... Uh, if, there was, if there was a system, I never understood it. I don't know. I was off on the Morris subdomain, so I was, I was pilica at morris.mn.edu. Our mutual friend Kevin Holden actually won, I feel like, the email sweepstakes. His freshman year uh, email was rbacardi <laughs> at iastate.edu. I, I take it he was allowed to... <laughs> yes, you're allowed to choose your, <laughs> choose your own. But he, he took the time to add the, to add the R in front. So, yeah, that's... That... I feel like that's winning. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, you know, like that's how you win the that's how you win the email address. And that is, you know, I, I'm going to rule that on topic too because it's you know, booze is always a very central Uncle Tupelo topic. <laughs> Jay Farrar is Jay Farrar is probably still using like I don't know Jay Walker at or yeah at 
you know, whatever, AOL.net. <laughs> Primavera. Primavera. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I feel bad about giving this song short shrift, but I don't have much else to... Yeah, it's it's a challenge with this the the kind of the middle of this album is uh, is a little bit little bit tough. This is like the least cooked hunk of dough in the whole the whole Tupelo zone. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm anxious to uh, to I've not listened to some of the like actual bonus tracks on this before, so there's kind of, kind of excited for that. There are some good ones. I you know like I don't want to go I don't want to spoil anything, but the ways that they failed with um. Sin City, they succeed this time around with with a different cover. Excellent. Um, oh, one question I did have for you. So you know, we established there's an accordion on here, and and you sounded pretty up on it. Yeah. Well, my sister plays the accordion. Right on. Does, like actively. Yeah. She Very went cool. to goes to accordion camp in uh, in Washington. That is tough to imagine, but I mean, like, if she digs it. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, tough to imagine an accordion camp like no no slam on your sister. I'm just trying to imagine like yeah, I mean it's, of... it's probably just a little weird for a you know like a 38 year old woman. They're probably it's probably not the typical accordion demographic. I I don't know. She's uh gosh, she might be 39, but um she uh I, I mean I imagine I just in my head it's her and a bunch of 70 year old men. <laughs> I hope that's true. I, yeah, I don't. I, I guess I've never asked her about yeah. the uh, about the demographics, but I think you need to. Uh, well, the thing I was going to ask, just so like, if you could add an accordion part to any other Uncle Tupelo song, what's going to get? It's a great question. Hmm. What other? I mean, really, just for sheer like. I mean, it's got to be something on March, right? Because it's going to stand out more if yeah. it's on an acoustic album. Yeah. I mean, I feel like maybe Sandusky needs a, maybe Sandusky needs a, an accordion part. I think that could actually work really well. Because it's already an acoustic. It's already a you know acoustic song. Yeah. There's no There's no lyrics. Nice and mellow. Instrumental. Yeah. So yeah, that's that. I guess that. What would be your pick? Um. You see, I I wanted to try to break stuff and like put one into like we've been had. Um, but that would just sound shitty, and yours would actually sound good. So, what's well, your? I mean, it's it's your thought exercise. You can be whatever you want. I'm gonna say screen door. Screen door would be a good. I one. think I think yeah. that think you could pull that out. I mean, I, I wouldn't say you know like postcard or something. <laughs> yeah. but you know, that's that's just me. Yeah, I think you're right. You don't want to break things. I understand. Anything else on uh, Watch Me Fall? No, nothing else. All right. Thanks again, as always, for listening to us. Uh, again, I am Keith Pilly at uh, at K E I T H P I L L E on Twitter, and I'm Chad Cook at Cook six two five two. As always, uh, we would love to hear from you. If there's anything you like or don't like, or want to tell us, or think we missed, or I don't know, you, you have a diff- different differing opinion about where the accordion should go or you know what primavera was yes please please drop us a line absolutely um if you dug the show please you know tell other people in your life about it um or go to itunes or google play and leave a review and uh, yeah thanks and we will talk to you again 